If you have your Bibles, I would like to invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 12 this morning as we are back to our series in the book of Romans after a season of Advent. We will really slow the pace down and spend a significant period of time over the next several weeks just in this chapter, Romans chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 1 and 2 this morning. Happy New Year. That's appropriate and fitting. And at some level, it's like, really? Like, didn't we? Are these coming faster or what? I did see this past week a cartoon of a guy in a boat in the midst of a storm. He's looking out and there's waves that are crashing in front of him and wind that is blowing. And he says, as he's contemplating 2021, he's looking out over the storm of this past year. And we would all agree there has been significant churning storms and tempestuous waters. And what he did not realize is that behind him is a giant tsunami, a wave that says 2022. And that's not funny, is it? Because at some level, that's kind of like, what? What, what is going on? I think, no, no, I don't think, I know. It's in moments like this, as we turn the page to another year, we, we can rest and trust in the sovereignty of God. There will be waves, and there will be storms, and we will be okay knowing that God's ultimate and perfect will will always be accomplished, and we just hold tight onto him. That's really what our chapter before us is about, and how we, in a sense, make our way through the year that God has called us to. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we begin um, to look into the word of God this morning? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We praise you, Lord, for your sustaining strength and mercy and grace and love over these past 12 months. In many ways, a difficult time, and yet a time that I believe we have all seen you. And Lord willing, Lord, even grown in our our trust of you. As we commence, as we kind of take the first step through the open door of another year, Our prayer together as a body of believers is that we would hug and we would hold tight to you and to your word. We would sense the closeness and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Father, we we pray for a, a hurting community around us filled with hurting people. We pray, Lord, that we would live and move, that we would walk and talk in a way that People ask a reason for the hope that exists within us. Father, we also think especially of this opportunity that we have been given as a local church to show your love, to be your hands and feet to those that are in need with Afghan refugees. We thank you, Lord, that you've blessed us in amazing ways, and we give you all of the glory for every blessing that we enjoy. But I pray, Lord, that we would be wise, faithful stewards 
of everything. And, and now even these few moments before us, I pray that we would steward this time well. That with the craziness or busyness of this past week, we would, we would slow down and we would hear a word from you. Lord, I just plead for help. Guard my mind and my mouth. May everything that is said and done be for your glory and your glory alone. We ask this in the amazing and matchless and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. It is really, in all honesty, it's a, it's a perfect place. We couldn't set this up better. Perfect place to begin the new year. January the 2nd today. If we're, if, we're to like, if we're to do this, all right? Number one, Exodus chapter 20, it says that you are to have no other gods. Nothing else before the one true God. We know that if we're to do this right, it says that we're to love the Lord your God with, with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Then I'm like, let's, then let's do it. If this is what we're called to do, we might as well do this the best that we can. So let's start with the ideal. This text before us, this is how we learn to live. We'll see it unpackaged before us. And I know it's been a while, so very, very high-level review of our book of Romans. And I think we began, if I recall, this time last year. So a quick overview, the author, the Apostle Paul, he's writing from the city of Corinth to believers in the city of Rome, around 56 AD, he's at the end of his third missionary journey. The church has had some problems where, where Jews and Gentiles were arguing over who's more righteous than the other. And we've talked about the fact that the Apostle Paul is the, the ultimate defense attorney presenting his case for what? Jesus, the Christ. The Son of God, the promised one, the long-awaited Messiah and Savior of the world. Presenting the case that what? Chapter 1, verse 17 holds the theme for the entire book. The righteous shall live by faith, which means there's not works that are ever going to save you. And Paul has done this masterfully. And I've given some thought, particularly this week, and I don't know why, but about the person Paul. I, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of see him as a smaller guy. Kind of glasses, maybe a little nerdish, if you know what I mean by that. Physically unimpressive in every way. I heard him describe one time like this. He's, he's like Mr. Rogers without the boat sneakers. Little cardigan sweater on. And we know at some level that he was sickly and he was certainly scarred, but there was something about his inner resolve. There was, a, there was a strength to him that that is unmatched. I would say it's almost unbelievable. It's unprecedented. You, you couple that with an absolutely brilliant mind. He may be little or he may be this or that. I tell you what. He was the most impressive. He had the ability to take words. He had the ability to take the wisdom of God and, and put it together to, to package it and present it in a way that literally doesn't just teach our minds, but it actually touches our hearts. 
We've talked about what? He's explained what is our salvation? Chapters 1 through 8. Justification, sanctification, glorification. We looked at how and to whom does this salvation apply. Difficult doctrines of election and predestination in chapters 9, 10, and 11. God's sovereignty that reveals his own, his elect. And now what we're going to do is turn a corner and we're going to look at how to live in light of this truth. This is the practical application, chapters 12 through 16 of the entire book of Romans. Now today, this morning, New Year's, I believe we need to not only listen but learn exactly the same thing that the Romans needed to hear, the Roman believers needed to hear 2,000 years ago. Now why is that? Because you and I, don't be shocked, we live in a culture that is closing in, that is collapsing in on us. Let me describe it like this. According to Pew Research, when when a group of 18 to 35-year-olds, 18 to 35-year-olds were asked about the religious affiliation, the number one response that they got was this, I don't care. That's the description of the culture that we are living in. Enter you and I with this book of truth. There's never been, I, I, I am not exaggerating, I don't think there's ever been a, a, a season, a needed moment for more practical instruction on how to live what I would call sold out as a follower of Jesus. There's never been a more important time to live whole, to live holy, to live 100%, to say, you know what, my life is a blank check for you, God, whatever you want, wherever you want from me, wherever you want me to go, this is the time, and this is the moment. What I call, this is how we live in response to the mercy of God. Romans chapter 12, let me direct the words to you. They'll be in the screen Reading from the ESV, it says this. I, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of the Lord. Do you ever, um, do you ever pack up the, the bus, you, you, you put everything in the car, you're going to go for a long drive. Everyone's kind of excited about it, but you know that at some level, you're going to hear probably dad up front. He's going to say, hey kids, let me, let me set the ground rules for you here, okay? No whining, no complaining, no fighting in the back seat. There's at some level the ground rules. This is how the trip is going to take place. 
When our, when our bus unloaded at a baseball field, you would always what? You'd see, you'd see our coach and the other team's coach meeting with the umpires, and they would set up the ground rules for the entire stadium. If the ball goes under here, you raise your hand. It's a ground rule double. You don't do anything else. If the ball's hit out of here, it's out of play. Don't touch it. There's the ground rules. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are the ground rules for everything that's going to come from, from, from here all the way through the end of Romans. If you don't get Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, it's not going to make sense to you. That's why this is a perfect time, a perfect place. Everything builds upon this. That's the reason the Apostle Paul begins with what? I appeal to you. Some translations you have in your lap say, I beseech you, or I urge you, or I implore you. The Aramaic translation in plain English says this, and I probably think it's the best. I beg you. It's almost as if Paul is on his knees saying, the entire case that has been presented... I beg you. And he uses this term, therefore, which always signals a shift. It marks a new section. We move from, from instruction of chapters 1 through 11 to exhortation. We move from the doctrinal statement and the doctrinal position of chapters 1 through 11 towards the application portion. In chapters 12 through 16. Interesting that when you see the word therefore, it usually points back to the immediate. So you think about chapter 11. Pauline scholars think it's really chapters 1 through 11. So he's not just pointing back to that which was immediate. He's pointing back to the entire case that has been presented. He's saying what? You need to understand this. And this is nothing small or insignificant. It's not unimportant. It's big. As a matter of fact, this is as big as it gets. I beg you. Therefore, brothers... Ladies, don't be disappointed. Okay, this is a reference here to fellow believers. We could say brothers and sisters. By the mercies of God. That's what everything is couched in. The mercies of God. The word is oiktirmas. By the compassion and by the care that has been directed toward you, the people of God, from the perspective of God. The compassion that you have enjoyed. Things that have been given to you or credited to you or applied to your account that you simply do not deserve. Gentlemen, when you, when you heard her say, yes, I will. Yeah, I'll marry you. You don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. In a sense, it's what? It's the offering. And you simply receive. That's God's mercy for us. Paul is stating clear and his unarguable authority, calling people's attention to the mercy that is offered by God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross and in the tomb. 
We are sinners that deserve damnation and separation because of our brokenness and our sinfulness. And yet we are now recipients because of his great unfathomable love and grace and specifically addressed here, his mercy. Do, do, you, do you get that? We can't move on until we rest on the word mercy. You have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's a gift. This is that grace that accompanies it. Um, it's described like this in, in John chapter 1. From his fullness we have received. From his fullness we have received grace upon grace. From who he is. We know that it says in, in Lamentations chapter 3, it's a mercy that never comes to an end. It's a mercy that is new every day. Paul says, I, I beg you upon the authority and you being reminded of that mercy, I want you to offer yourself. And he says three things very specifically. The first one is this. We are to offer our body to God. It says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, initially we hear this, whenever you begin to hear about sacrifice, living sacrifice, and there's this immediate kind of connotation or imagery of something that is bloody and something that is dead, Animals being slaughtered or, God forbid, in pagan societies. There were human sacrifices. The Romans would be familiar with what this word is. Jews certainly would be familiar. Isn't this, like, wrong? Isn't this kind of how idea kind of just a little bit gross? It's sick. Please understand, first and foremost, because of Christ's ultimate sacrifice on the cross, any and all... Blood sacrifices are not only unnecessary, but they're wrong today. So we know that the blood has been put away from all of the what? The years of bringing goats and sheep and bulls. All of the, the valuable things. All of that has been what? Covered by the one time shed blood of Jesus Christ. And he uses this new phrase that everyone's familiar with the idea of sacrifice, but no one is familiar with this phrase, living sacrifice. In, in this verse, it talks about something that is of utmost value. Something that is of, of great worth is what we are to offer. I like R.C. Sproul says that we are to bring a thank offering to the Lord. And as a response of his mercy, we are to offer a thank offering to him. Something that's valuable. And we, we, we hear this idea oftentimes of, of self-sacrifice and our worship. And it usually sounds something like this. We're going we're gonna to gather and we're going to lift up our voices in worship. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. I was reading our little planning. We have a little planning center every single week of who's doing what, who's going to play the drums and who's going to do this and who's going to lead. And, and, and Matt has it 
who, who leads in worship? And before his name is ever mentioned, the worshipers. We gather as worshipers to offer, to lift up our voices in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And we hear that and we talk about we worship through the giving of our tithes and our offerings. We, we, we are to sacrifice by giving of our time. Some of you are really even praying right now. What could I add to a family that is totally destitute? Do I have anything that I could offer to them? I have a little contact and knowledge with real estate or in the medical world or in the educational system. Is there anything of value that I can offer? God says that we're to do this not out of out of an obligatory sense or an act of duty. Yeah, that's, that's what I got to do again because that's what we do. Actually, it says we are to give willingly and cheerfully. God loves a delight. We give sacrificially. According to our text, it says this, if you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are to present your body. By first understanding what? Well, apparently, I, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't own this. I'm not my own. You are not your own. You've been bought with the price. You become part of what? This body is connected to the entire body of Christ. Where we all function together. And over there's the pinky, and over there's the nose, and over there's the eye, uh, and the little toe, and we function, what? As part of the body of Christ. So that we are to what? As a result of understanding God's mercy in our lives, I'm supposed to take every single bit that I have and every single bit that we have together, which means what? Our, our eyes and our ears and our tongues and our voices, our hands and our feet, the mind that God has given to us and the strengths and the gifts and the resources and the energy, and we're to pull them We're to live like this. Whatever you do. Well, I have a New Year's resolution this year, and I'm going to. Whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. There's a problem here. And there's, there's tension that exists in that very phrase, in that very idea of us offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. Of us offering our body. And here's the tension. Here's the rub. I, I want my own body. And we like our own body. And we like our own selves. We like our own time. And I'm going to look at what I want to look at. And I want to hear what I want to hear. And so there's this, there's this tension that says what? I'm going to hold on tight. I don't have a whole lot, but the little tiny bit that I have, I'm going to hold on tight to it. I'm going to use it to do what I want to do. I heard someone just the other day say, I have a New Year's resolution. Here's my New Year's I'm going to treat myself better. I, I guess at some level, if you realize that you're not your own, that makes sense. This morning, this very first morning, Sunday morning of 2022, we are to learn what? It's not really about holding and hoarding onto this little tiny bit here. Why? 
because we are to have no other gods before us, which means you are not even to be in front of God. You offer yourself. You saddle up and you offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That's the reason that Paul uses this term, present yourself or offer yourself. It's yours, God. This year, I have tried living for myself and holding and hoarding and hugging onto what I want. But this year is going to be totally different. And when we offer ourselves to the Lord, you know the, the winds and the waves, the tempestuous times that we are in? We can handle it when we know that that's, that, that belongs to the Lord. I belong to the Lord. I'm His. A living sacrifice. I think one of the best explanations of this, an illustration of what it means to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, because this isn't something dead and bloody on, a, on an altar. This is who we are. This is how we think. And I think one of the best illustrations is marriage. At least it should be. This summer, what we're planning, I think there's three or four couples already that are planning to be married. And they're going to sit through premarital time and, and they're going to gather with all of the beauty array between God and these witnesses. And they're going to covenant they're going to pledge themselves to one another. And, and it's an amazing opportunity. The bride arrayed in all of the beauty, and like the makeup, and the groom. And he's just standing like with this silly grin on his face. Like he doesn't know what's going on. Like what is happening here? And they pledge, I am yours and you are mine. It's, it's total. It's complete. I've never heard or seen a wedding that says, I totally pledge myself to you 100% of the time from Monday to Friday. Weekends, that's me. I've never heard of it. I've never heard, I am yours from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And after that, I'm on my own. Sorry. I've never heard, I've never seen that. Why? Because it's total commitment. It's 100% covenants. And I remind people, when you make this commitment, you stand before the presence of God and you say, till death do us part. I remind people, there is no getting out of this unless one of you are in a coffin. That's the level of commitment. That's the covenant. It is to be the same idea when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. He's given to us a way to which this, this commitment, this covenant is manifested. He's given to us a way of how this covenant is made real. When we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, it sounds great verbally. My covenant this year, my, my New Year's resolution, I'm just going to offer myself totally to God. But there's a way that this is, this is, this is proven. And you know how it's proven? You know how this is manifesting? You know how this is made real? It, it becomes reality through the local church. If you offer your body, then what? There's a way that your body can be seen and present or not present. You, you dance in here on a Sunday morning and dance out again? I tell you what, that's, that's not what we're looking here. That's not commitments. 
it, it, it begins with what I remind people all the time. So what should I do? Like, how do I begin to follow Jesus? I usually tell them two words. Here, here you go. Show up. Show up. How, how difficult has it become over the past year for people just to show up? That's the first. How do we know if your body is committed unless you're here? That's the body holding itself accountable. I miss you. Where have you been? Don't you have eyes and ears and hands and feet? How are you supposed to use that? How is that held accountable if you're separated? If you're a brick by itself somewhere? That's not a building. I read one pastor's summary on commitment to the local church. I think it's, 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 it's so clear. I've had it with what? Show up. Here's the second thing that we, we actually manifest. We make real the commitment of offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. You join. Make a commitment to be held accountable. You can't just fly around out there. There's dangers. You're going to get eaten up and spit out unless you have one another alongside of you. Checking up on you. How you doing? Concerned about you. What are you reading? What are you watching? How are you spending your time? What's your marriage like? You guys enjoying yourselves? You're eating each other up at home. You join. You make covenant commitment towards one another. This pastor continues, and I love this. I didn't write this. You try to make your pastor's job a joy. I love that. I could have removed that. Like That looks a little kind of like self. No, no, that's really what your job should be. To make my job easier. What a delightful way to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. You find ways to serve. I don't have a whole lot, but I got a little. You can't dance in and dance out. And grab and take and gorge yourself. That's not a living sacrifice. That's a spoiled brat. You show up. You join Make your pastor's job a joy. You find ways to serve. You give. Let me just pause here for a moment. And I commend you for your sacrificial giving as a local church. That, that is one thing. I, I am totally blown away with how much this church gives and the provision for the body as we continue to be what? A lighthouse in this community. So somewhere along the line, I think, I think it's actually at some level, it's almost easier to give than it is to show up. And so yes, we are to give and to give cheerfully and sacrificially, but that doesn't mean you just write a check and stay home. It means that we are part of the, that's offering ourselves a living sacrifice. And I love this one, you connect with people. Yeah, but people are really ignorant, Pastor. And somebody, somebody, I, I was at church and they, they gave me a dirty look. They did. And, and there's this whole idea that when we connect with people, we commit as living time, we're to offer ourselves, that we kind of isolate. It just can't happen. That's not the church. You're not a brick by yourself in the lawn. You're part of the body. I love this. And you share your passion 
this morning, we heard testimony right there from Dr. Gray, who stood up and said, I got this email. We all get our, our emails are flooded. Our inboxes are filled. And he says, I got this email. And in a sense, what? He's politely saying, I almost, what? Swipe right. And he got this email from Samaritan's Purse, and, and, I, and I slept on it, and the Lord brought it back, and the Lord brought it back, and the Lord brought it back, like I couldn't, and I, got a, and, and I get a call. Hey, Pastor Tim, like, I got this email, and I don't know really what to do with it. The Lord won't, won't, that's a passion. That's fire burning within the belly, and I better do something with it. That's what we do as a church. What is your passion? I dance in, I dance out. Oh, upon the authority of the word of God, I fear for you. Because you're accepting all of his mercy, and you're holding and hoarding, and you're hugging yourself. And the day's going to come when you stand before the Lord, and he's going to say, I shoveled blessing upon blessing upon blessing of my mercy. Do you know what you deserve? And you gorged yourself on it? We are to be unleashed with the passion for the lost. Tears and praying for our neighbor who still does not know Jesus. And I see them getting more and more physically weak. And the day is coming where they will be ushered into one of two places. And right now, it doesn't look real good. That's the passion. I wonder how many people is we like, and this year, I'm going to drop five pounds. And this year, I'm going to appreciate that. Pastor Stewart can't get any stronger. He's as strong as you can get. But like, what, what is it? We offer our body to God. Here we go, point two. <laughs> hey, we only have one New Year's a year, okay? Number two, we offer our mind to God. And be not... Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, if we want to seek a transformed life, we're not conformed to be transformed. There's this idea of, we've got to think differently. Understand, transformed mind comes when we're not like the rest of everyone else. I, I was listening to someone recently, and he goes, I'm, I'm kind of stuck here. Because in his preaching and in his teaching, he said, I'm just telling people the same thing. You're going to be weird if you live for Jesus. And there's like no other way. You want to live for Jesus, you're going to be considered weird from the rest of the world. And I'm like, yep, stay on it. Preach it. That's what it's going to be. So we're not conformed. The Greek word for repentance, which is key to our salvation, absolutely, is metanoia, which means a change of mind. And this happens when you don't think like everyone else thinks. Well, the world says one thing. That, sorry, we don't go there. We don't think like that. We think differently. And so there's these two, two parallel roads Two processes. We're not conformed and we're transformed. And in a sense, they have to go on, what I would say, continually and simultaneously. It has to happen together and it doesn't stop ending. It doesn't stop happening as long as we have what? Air that is, that is rushing through our lungs. 
We're not conformed and we're being transformed continually and simultaneously. Well, what does that look like? How does that happen? Our pattern, thankfully, has been given to us in the person. We just celebrate the incarnation, the person of Christ. The pattern for us on how to do this is Christ. He lived on this earth broken and filthy and mean and dirty. He was surrounded by the grossness of this world. And for some reason, and we know because of who he was, he offers to us the perfect example. Jesus was tempted. Remember remember Matthew chapter 4? Remember this barrage of temptation? Like, like the temptation that you face on a regular basis, Jesus experienced that. The physical needs, here's, here's, here's bread. If you're, if you're who you are, if you, you, you are who you say you are, then every single rock can be turned into to bread. And I'm not thinking like dry, crusty bread. I'm thinking like warm, steaming, uh, Salted butter, melt it on the bread. Like that can all be yours. Just speak. A physical need. Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not buying that. I'm not going to bite that, Satan. If you are who you say you are, then save yourself. Jump down off that. Or look, all of this could be yours. That's in a sense what? Struggling with the same temptations that we have. The physical needs, the 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 desire to matter, to show people how impressive, to be filled with pride. And every single response, every single response. How does, what, what does Jesus say when Satan is what? Is, is attempting to buffet him. Jesus says, it is written. It is written. I know the truth. And I know how the story ends. And this is what I'm going to offer. Some, some of you have no idea what is written in here. Because you're not, you're not ingesting it. You're not feeding on it. You, you've, you've got to know. If you are going to be what? We know subject to temptation. Then we have to have a ready defense. It actually refers to what? The only offensive weapon in the armor of God is the sword of the spirit. How are you going to do battle went, oh shoot, it's been three days, I forgot. I need to read. You're going to be eaten up. You're going to be eaten up. Although he was tempted in every way like we are. That's why it says what? In Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the example. That's the pattern. Thirdly and finally, what? We're to offer our will to God it, it, it says that you may discern what is the will of God like what, what is the perfect how do I align how do I come into his wake what is good what is acceptable and perfect I, I think about Philippians it says what whatever is, is good think on those things pure think on those things don't, don't think about the other you're not, you're not to be like the world you're not conformed to the world you're different than the world what is good? What is acceptable? What is, what is the will of God anyway? What does God want for my life? If Christ is our pattern here, our example here, 
We have to remember, how did he respond? Think about what? Luke chapter 22, the very night that Jesus was what? Betrayed. Before he was going to be drugged, before his accusers, before he was going to have what? Nails pierce his hands and his feet. He's praying in the garden with such fervency that, that blood vessels have broken, that he's actually bleeding out. And he's pleading, Father, please remove this cup of suffering. He knows what it's going to be like. And he surrenders his will. It doesn't matter what I want. Father, your will be done. Just pause on that for, for a moment. Think, think and say this to yourself. It doesn't matter what I want. Like, that's like, excuse me, yeah, it does. Like, I like food. I like family. I want my pleasures. I want my golf. And I want my buddies. And I want this to look right. And I want, it. no, no, no. According to what it says here, and you can whisper this to yourself because I've had it resonating in my mind the entire week. It doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what I want. Doesn't matter what I want. January the 2nd, 2022. It doesn't matter what I want. It all matters about what he wants. Now, now think about this for a moment. Does, does God direct the course of your life? Or do you direct the course of your life, of your own will? And what are some practical ways that we as a church, so we work individually, but we know we don't exist individually, we exist corporately. How do we, how do we change our will into his will? How do we become more like Christ and less like the world? Well, the world says what? You gorge yourself on every single thing that you can. You buy it, you enjoy it, you like, you bathe yourself in it, you rub it on your face. The world says what? It's all about you. And if you have a little bit extra left over, then you give your leftovers because that's going to make me, I just feel so good. When I open the door for someone, I just feel so good. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how you feel, it doesn't matter what you want. You don't give your leftovers. It says that you bring your first fruits. You, you say, what is the best? What is the most valuable? Then I offer that. Abraham was willing to offer his own son. It's, un, it's hard to even comprehend. And God did offer his only son. The world says, look out for yourself. No, no, the word of God says you look at yourself last and you look out for every single person that's out there who's in need before you look out for yourself because it doesn't matter what you want. That's what we see in scripture. The world says what? You only go around one time. Better grab all you can. And we hear this. So what is your religious affiliation? I don't give a rip. I don't care because it's all about me. No, there is to be no other one. To be no idols, just not to be yourself. The world says you only go around once, live for today. Je Jesus teaches us no, you live for eternity. And eternity begins today. 
as we set the course and trajectory for an entire new year. The world says what? You're only here by accident. The result of chance. You die and and you go into the ground. And what's it matter anyway? And Jesus says, no, you, you were actually what? Knit together. You were born with purpose. You were created by divine design. That you live for his glory and his glory alone. That's what the idea is of this transformed mind. You think totally unique from everyone else. You think radically and dramatically different. If you live in response to God's mercy, you would delightfully and gleefully and quickly offer up. You want my body? You can have it, Lord. You want my mind? You can have it. My will, it's yours. It's all or nothing in our care and concern and our love. And our interest for the Lord first and for other people second. It's in our serving, our giving, our sacrificing to those who are in need. It's offering ourselves to live holy lives, set apart. The Holy Spirit is doing amazing work to sanctify us. And at some level, you have to choose to be holy and to be obedient. The worship we are to offer is not mindless worship. We are to offer ourselves in humility and repentance so that the sacrifice of our praise will provide a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, how is that done? And, and I love this picture. It's this idea again. You're a brick. You're, you're like a, a hunk of rock, a stone, which is really impressive what do you use a, a brick for? What do you use a, a rock for? It can be a doorstop. Um, a, you could use a brick for a paperweight. Like if it's a windy day in your study, you could use a brick for that. What else can you use a brick for? Well, you could maybe prop something up with it. That's not the design. The design of a brick is what? It's to be alongside other bricks. Design of one stone, like one rock, one stone, isn't very impressive unless you put all of those stones together and then it's impressive. That's the picture that has been given to us of how we offer ourselves. Peter writes it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I close. You yourselves are like living stones, are, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer what? Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. Did, did Peter confer with Paul on this? Did, did Paul chat with Peter? Because it sounds pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty similar. Same author. Holy Spirit gave both Peter and Paul this idea that says, you live totally, 100% sold out. And that, that, that is the only way you will enjoy and delight in the life that God has before us. That's the only way. Hold, hug, whore yourself. Get ready for a year of misery. Thank God. For his mercy upon our soul. Father, we love you. We thank you for your truth. Help us to live in response and obedience to it. In your name we pray. Amen.